Affleck's so good in Phantoms. Like I said to you, he actually is pretty good in Phantoms, and so yeah. is Leif, Leif Shavar, is it, however you pronounce his fucking name, Cotton Weary. He's pretty good, too, but that rest of that movie sucks, dude. Oh, yeah, no, it's not a great movie, but... I actually are... never saw it when it came out. That was, like, one of the few of that, like, wave I never saw. Yeah, I went... Uh, my COVID was all Kevin Williamson movies. I watched The Faculty. I watched uh, Phantoms. I watched Teaching Miss Tingle, which is actually a pretty great movie. I can't believe that yeah. you had the gall to ask me if I've ever seen Faculty when you know damn well I was there the first time you saw it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember, dude. I, I probably haven't but seen it. But you remember your birthday from 1999. Because we played Manhunt with my neighbor, and that's when he broke his leg. And then oh, he, and his like, life, divorced his him after entire that. life got ruined from that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Monster Rally Podcast. This is Gary, <laughs> and I am sometimes joined by James and Mike, or should I say sometimes they're joined by me. <laughs> I'm back, guys. Hello. Welcome Hello. back, pal. Good evening. Welcome Hello. back. Hello. I, uh, I, apologize. I, was, I apologize for my absence. I took a quick trip to Transylvania, you know, hanging out with the crew there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know what I just said. Dracula cooked me dinner. Remember when Dracula <laughs> cooked dinner in Dracula? We don't talk about that enough. We didn't. You know, we 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 really did gloss over that. He one. definitely cooked dinner for Renfield. He absolutely did. And like Renfield didn't eat it, but you, Dracula was like standing there, like yo, like he I wanted to know how. This. Yeah, like yeah, what like you think? It's a new recipe, dude. He I like, like, spent much time in the kitchen, but <laughs> don't worry, there's no garlic in it. But today we're not talking about Dracula. We are talking about The Son of Frankenstein from 1939, directed by some guy I've never heard of. Yeah, can't yeah, wait yeah. to talk. Can't wait to talk about this movie because it's <laughs> uh, it's quite an epic. Um, but first, let's start off. Uh, what's going on, guys? How are things? How's life? Things are going swell. We are so happy to have our third monster back. Um, yeah, me and James, me and James held it down. We held it down for you while you were away with our little uh, mini, our little snack pack mini episode. I hope we did you proud. I listened to that episode. That was You guys didn't know who Lee Winnell is. And like, I'm like, dude, Lee Winnell is like one of the biggest horror directors of the past 20 years. Come on, Who guys. didn't know? I knew. He, no, both you guys were like, I don't know. I think he's the guy from Saw. No, he's the guy from Saw and directed The Invisible he, Man. He acted in Saw. He didn't direct <sighs> Saw. He wrote Saw and he co-wrote Saw. He was the other guy in the room in Saw with yeah. uh, with yeah, Carrie Ellis. Yeah. yeah, and he directed no, I'm just, Upgrade. I'm, I'm just shitting on you guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't no, really like fine, making a tone Maybe you should you go guys, back to the hospital. Yeah, why don't you just yeah, why don't you set this one out, Gary? <laughs> why don't I go get COVID again, gang? Oh. I'm gonna get COVID again and next to a pooper. Oh goodness gracious. James, what's going on in your life? Oh man, it's another day in paradise, baby. You know me. Manel why, do you, why do you speak in corporate jargon like that? <laughs> you know what? I uh just gotta, you know, find the synergy and there's some low hanging fruit here on this podcast, guys. <laughs> So yeah, we're talking about the son. I keep saying the son of Frankenstein, which is not the name of this movie. The it's name sure, of this movie is of... just Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, um, sure is. 1939. We were talking about young Frankenstein. It pretty much. If the, you guys have seen the, Young Frankenstein, the you've youngest seen Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein. No, <laughs> this is not the youngest Frankenstein. Spoiler alert: There's another Frankenstein. 
But that's the older brother. This is the oh, youngest is Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Because oh. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out. I'm like, I know they introduced a brother who was not mentioned in this. And it's like, oh, no, that is the older brother. Yeah. There's always, oh. one, of those, there's always one of those assholes lurking around. <laughs> it's it's like Yoda. Like, no, there is another. Yeah, there is another <laughs> Frankenstein. There's always another Frankenstein. But, That's just good plot convenience. It's like, oh, yeah, he yeah. had a bunch of kids we didn't tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Well, we, we, get, we get the son of Frankenstein's son who would be the youngest Frankenstein. This is true. That kid sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that this kid caused a lot of issues in the third act, but we'll get to it. <laughs> uh, this kid sucks. Sorry, Peter Frankenstein. You're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so 1939. Um, I believe when we did Dracula's Daughter, that was 1936. Indeed. So we had gone a couple years without a, a Universal horror movie. I think there was a shakeup at Universal. Carl Lemley or Carl Lemley Jr. One of them was out. What was going on there? Well, there, remember we, we mentioned in the Dracula's Daughter episode that, that was the last film that Lemley Sr. Uh, produced uh, or you know, was in charge of Universal, uh, at least as far as the, uh, the monster movies go. Right. And uh, they, uh, Universal was bought out by a, a secondary company, right, Mike? Yeah, there's a. I know we talked about this in the ro- in the lead up to what was supposed to be our original recording. So there's there's a really interesting, fascinating story that we kind of stumbled upon um, in our research that I think we need to set the record straight on. With this, is the reason that the last film that we saw in universe from Universal, Dracula's Daughter, in 1936, all the books and all the documentaries that you'll see about it is that they kind of just kind of uh, passingly write this period off as, oh, there was um, like a two-year probation on horror pictures in Hollywood. And it's just kind of chucked aside, like, oh, like, like it wasn't like legal to make horror pictures anymore. That's fine. And it was just like equally accepted in all these history books. So digging into it, there's a lot more to that history before we actually got to Son of Frankenstein, which is the film really responsible for shattering that and all the studios getting um, kind of back on board with horror pictures. So we have to go a little ways back to the MPPDA, which was the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America. So they were basically an advisory board that had really little to no authority. um, And the Hayes production code, these two entities are basically one in the same. So the Hayes code, as we know, was not really enforced between 1930 and 1934, which is what we've all kind of come to known as the pre-code years. It was more of like a symbolic gesture that this code got made because they didn't want government interference. They just were doing it as sort of a way to like generate positive, you know, publicity that like, oh, don't worry, we're making sure that there isn't too much like shoddy material going out to the masses. We're on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that that's not true because a lot of things were coming out in the pre-code years. So Fast forward to around 1934, where there was a lot of outrage amongst like moralists and religious groups. And um, so this caused uh, the MPPDA to kind of create this separate entity within them that was going to basically be like a, a like a watchdog on them that was going to be the Production Code Administration, the PCA. And this they thought was going to be it was kind of work in their favor, but it ended up becoming just like an endless headache for them. So uh, basically, Will Hayes, again, the Hayes Code, Will Hayes put this guy, um, Joseph Breen, in charge of the PCA. And he was a real hard-nosed conservative, 
uh, staunch uh, Roman Catholic and whatnot, and just absolutely 100% hated horror pictures, hated everything to do with them. So his role, he really started to buckle down on the code and everything really got really tightened up. I mean, everything from script approval, everything had to go through them and anything that had any semblance of horror injected into it. He completely tried to write it off or not have films or uh, studios even get into producing these pictures. Now, um, at this point, he started to kind of greatly exaggerate to people um, and and using the sort of vagueness with uh, Britain and the censorship code over there as, you know, kind of, as a bit of like a means to get him to convince studios to just drop projects altogether. So he kind of instilled this fear into people that wanted to do these about how difficult it would be to get um, your film even shown in England. It would just get outrightly banned. And obviously at that point, the English market was a huge lucrative market. So no studios wanted to even chance or fathom the idea of having their films shut out from that. All of this was just kind of smoke and mirrors. There really wasn't anything, but this guy just instilled so much fake fear into people about the idea of them doing this and having an entire market of revenue cut off to them. So as we know, Dracula's daughter was really the last one out the gate. As James mentioned, there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, personnel changes at Universal, a lot of shakeups at that point. Um, around this same time, 20th Century Fox uh, wanted to concentrate on mainstream films because they just saw, you know, they foresaw all the headache that was going to be involved with this Joseph Breen character. Uh, we get to 1937, not one single studio put a horror film into production. Uh, in September of 38, Columbia began developing a horror film called The Man They Could Not Hang, which was supposed to be the first in a series of four Karloff vehicles, which basically was just going to recycle the same plot again and again. Um, Unsurprisingly, the script was just flat out rejected and they ended up uh, just reworking it to be turned into basically a murder mystery. Are you saying that they were going to take a Karloff movie and just keep redoing that storyline? Yes. <laughs> Imagine that. Four times? No. Are never... you saying that there was a character who called the man that could not hang and then there was a character in this movie that you could not hang? I wonder, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonder where that came from. And also this... This dude who you're talking about sounds like he can't hang because he sounds like that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jo yeah. Joseph Breen was a serious dick, and then it, it even went so far as to like again back at, uh, once we get to 1938. Universal at this point was they basically went to the PCA more or less asking for permission to make a sequel to The Invisible Man, and the Breen and the PCA basically were like, "Well, we want you to avoid any excessive." Uh, brutality or gruesome parts. They basically were imploring them to make a broad comedy with like trick photography. They were literally making these uh, wrecking like strong recommendations to them. Obviously, Universal wasn't buying it, so they didn't even go through with it. But after so long, Universal just basically said, fuck it. And they kind of called this guy's bluff and went ahead and produced Son of Frankenstein. And of course, this was the film that effectively ended this fake hiatus. So all of these history books and everything, and, and mind you, Son of Frankenstein got produced it got it opened in the english market with absolutely no problems at all so for all these history books and documentaries kind of you know talking about the bridge between dracula's daughter all the way to son of frankenstein about how oh this was the film that kind of lifted this two-year probation like it's kind of crazy that so many history books are just glossing over this thing as like accepted fact that there was basically like 
you know, on outlaw, you know, on a legal status on horror pictures at this t- time when it really was the farthest thing from the truth. It was one guy basically perpetuating all of these smoke and mirrors that their films would not get um, screened in a really lucrative market. It was all just complete and utter bullshit. So it's really awesome that it was Son of Frankenstein was the film that kind of shattered that. And then from this period on, Universal and all <laughs> the other studios kind of got right back onto the horror bandwagon that they kind of jumped off on around circa 1936 very long-winded but i thought that was a really fascinating thing in the research um that uh i think was worth uh talking about as we got to son of frankenstein properly thank you, you. thank he's <laughs> very good mike you gotta <laughs> call you. that you think he was a scared you think this guy just like didn't like horror movies oh, like, I was he a spooked out little yeah. boy yeah he yeah. was terrified he was like he saw oh. frankenstein and he he heard how much mike loved it and he's like i don't know i gotta see this movie and then he got really really scared yeah, I really would not have gotten along with Joseph Green. He was just really, he was just all about cock block and Frankenstein. I don't like that. <laughs> well, we know that, we know that Frankenstein uh, liked to get down with the ladies, and that is why we have this, the son of Frankenstein. I'm sorry, this son of Frankenstein. <laughs> so, in, in some of our research, too, and we talked about this, uh, 1938, Universal did the uh, double feature, Dracula and Frankenstein, released them both into theaters, um, yep. which was a, a big box office success, which I'm sure also led them to be like, well, we could probably do another movie. Why not? Let's see what happens. Yeah, that, that um, really. Yeah, you're you're totally right. That was like the springboard is that they did um, even prior to that double bill. They they put um, a triple bill consisting of Dracula, Frankenstein and Son of Kong at L.A.'s Regina Theater Ooh, that Son played to like terrifying. <laughs> I love Son of Kong. Yeah, I know it's like a far cry from the original, but I really like it. But yeah, that played to that L.A. theater to packed houses for five consecutive weeks. So, yeah, leading right into what you said, then Universal re-released just Frankenstein and Dracula on a double bill. And that netted them like half a million dollars in rentals, which was like an extravagant return. So they were like, no, there's definitely still like life in this franchise. So fuck this PCA. Like, we're just going to go for it. And they originally uh, greenlit this movie with a $200,000 budget, which is usually their budget for things. And of course it ballooned to 420, baby. James, you're our resident Mary Shelley expert. I've never heard um, of her. Yes, you love Mary Shelley Wolfenstein, <laughs> whatever her name was. <laughs> oh, yes, I do love Wolfenstein. <laughs> yes, you love Mary Wolfenstein. Um, any part of this movie from uh, the book? Oh boy, uh, yeah, maybe there's a monster in it. <laughs> oh yeah, and the name Frankenstein. That's about it. Was there? <laughs> well, that, that's debatable. <laughs> um, so, where does the plot come from? Who wrote this movie? Willis Cooper was the writer for this movie film. I'm betting, Mike, that they. And I'm just going to put you on the spot. And, and <laughs> I'm betting that they're like, "Hey, James Whale, you want to direct this movie?" <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, like, as we've, like, come to know doing several episodes at this point or even more than that, like, Universal is just prone to going back to what's worked before. That, so they're always trying to just recycle the same artists and actors into these films. More times than not, as we've seen, it doesn't typically work out. So, yeah, what you said, um, yeah, this was this film started off with a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget. Um they couldn't get James Whale. I think James Whale had kind of, 
he understood, you know, he just kind of passed on it. He, he'd done enough for them at this point. So it was um, uh, Roland V. Lee took over directorial duty. So the budget was set at 250. And of course, it ballooned up to a whopping 300,000. And there was even consideration to shoot the film in color, but that was ditched over the, after they saw like just the poor effect that Karloff's makeup had in color tests. Um, so. Uh, Lee was provided with a pretty generous 27 day shooting schedule, but of course production difficulties almost arose instantly. Um, shooting was set for October 17th of 38 only to be delayed till November 9th due to dissatisfaction with the script. Uh, Universal was like, we don't give a fuck. (laughs) We were like, press on finish script or not. Um, but Universal's confidence in the finished product uh, definitely paid off, so they entrusted Lee to. They wanted him to rein the picture in on time, but even with all that, with Universal brass kind of coming down on him, the budget ballooned even more as additional costs were accrued. Um, intricate special effects slowed down the production with um, the script evolving daily, so much that Lee reportedly was rewriting on the set and delivering new lines to actors only moments before they were sometimes filled. Uh, the production even bled into the Christmas season. Universal doubled its staff and editorial and music to meet the film's preview deadline. Um, so all in all, Son of Frankenstein wrapped production on January 5th, 1939. The first preview date being January 7th after a 40, after 46 tiring days and a final budget of 420 thousand dollars double its estimate so basically the hard lesson that universal needs to fucking learn now is don't embark on a production especially of this scale without a finished fucking script january 5th at rap production the mass the the wide release was january 13th like how insane is that (laughs) like have you ever heard of that kind of turnaround no but i can only imagine that they were editing as they were going along right i mean they couldn't not right yeah i mean do you think i do think modern movies like especially the big blockbusters are like edited up until release a lot of them you hear about that their edits and reshoots and stuff yeah, up until well, right before release yeah but a lot of them also more or less put together a rough cut while they're being filmed or yeah. at least the ones that are being done by competent directors <laughs> is that a knock on our on our good friend here roland v lee yeah, it's also it's also a slam and jam right in uh, Willis Cooper's face. Uh, the man has eleven total writing credits. Uh, um, one of them is Lights Out, and that just came out a couple of years ago. <laughs> I think it's the same Lights Out. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it it's is, the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was uh, he he's best known probably for writing or at least co-writing three of the Mister Moto films starring Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote Phantom, uh, the Phantom Creeps, uh, another Lugosi vehicle. Wrote yep. Son of Frankenstein, and then it was, it was downhill, and then he got out. Actually, his most recent writing credit was Quiet Please, The Evening and the Morning, a short that was done in two thousand and nine. That's strange. <laughs> it's well, it's based on an old radio play that he must have written. It's most prequel to Quiet Place. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, is it's it a, a Quiet Place? Because that. A, would be- Buck wild. <laughs> you know what is Buck Wild, but I just learned about uh, oh, he's a rich man. Okay, so that explains it. Roland Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most famous for other other than directing Son of Frankenstein, directing, get this guys, 
The Wolf of Wall Street. 1929. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. And I it's, thought that was Scorsese, but I guess I was wrong. But did you, but I, I haven't, admittedly haven't seen that film, but did you read the plot description? Because it's like weirdly like similar to what the Scorsese one is. It's basically about like a guy that kind of thrives to be like rich and falls oh my God, into. It is. The plot yeah. concerns a ruthless trader who corners the market and sells short, making a fortune, but ultimately ruining the finances of himself and his friends. I have to assume that's where they got the title of that movie, right? Like, uh, no, well, I mean, it's based on the book. Yeah. I mean, Scorsese, listen, it's not like Scorsese's never ripped off another movie before. Well, I'm talking I mean, about the departed guys. It's a uh, shot, shot we make. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to Martin Scorsese's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. God, I can't wait. It's going to be great. great. It'll be great. So we have uh, the usual cast of characters here. We got Boris back in his role, just chilling, you know, in his. Final appearance as Frankenstein, I believe. Uh, as the monster, yeah. Final as the creature, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we got Bella showing up, you know. Bella. Oh, good, yeah. old, good old Bela Ghost. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're going uh, to talk a lot. Easily. Yeah, a lot, a lot of Bella talk in this episode, for sure. Um, but I was really excited when I looked at the cast, because they show it to you right at the beginning of the movie. They do. Um, and I saw... My man from the Great Mouse Detective, Basil Rathbone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was a that's a pretty big name that it's, I did I'm, not anticipate to see up front. Yeah, and w- think about this. First thing we get when it comes to the title cards, right off the bat, you get a solid above the title billing. It's Basil Rathbone. It's Boris Karloff. It's Bela Lugosi, and you're like, oh shit. They oh, brought yeah. out the heavy hitters for this. They really did. Yeah, they did. this is a really impressive cast all around, and. Uh... Yeah, Basil Rathbone. I mean, you know, huge actor, worked with Michael Curtiz and Captain Blood, Adventures of Robin Hood, The Mask of Zorro. Uh, he was in 1941's The Black Cat and uh, The Court Jester in 55. And of course, obviously, he played Sherlock Holmes in no less than 13 films, which started with The Hound of the Baskervilles, which I guess was that was just a, a role that he could never shake. But he was so great in it. And um, I really mm-hmm. liked him later on in like the 60s when he worked with Corman in uh, Comedy of Terrors. I liked that one. Yeah. So he I had to imagine he was a pretty big star and a pretty big get for this movie. Oh, definitely. Um, what was Karloff up to if he could be making horror movies? What was he up to for a couple of years? Looking weird. he was still no he was still working like pretty steadily i mean he he was still kind of reaping the the success of the previous frankenstein movies if there was anybody on hard times it was really lugosi at this point but um, well, because Lugosi was so uh, arrogant, he's like, "I'm never gonna play Dracula again." Well, yeah, probably was a bad idea, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Look there was. Now. Yeah, there was, and then of course, I mean, how could we not uh, mention uh, Lionel Atwell, who plays Inspector Krogh in this, which is um, awesome. I mean, Lionel Atwell. Thankfully, he's so good in this role, and obviously, we've seen him in things like Doctor X and uh, Murders in the Zoo, Mark of the Vampire, but. Um, this is not this is the first, but certainly not the last time we will see him in the Universal Monster films. He will pop up several more times in several different different films, all playing completely different characters. But he's such a great actor. And this is really one of the best roles that he did. Obviously, like the role that he originated here is one that's, of course, parodied in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein, which I'm sure everybody knows and loves. But yeah, Lionel Atwell's awesome. And then. 
Uh, I guess the cast is really uh, rounded out by Josephine Hutchinson, who plays Elsa von Frankenstein. She was in um, Somewhere in the Night that was directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, one of my favorite directors. And she appeared in uh, North by Northwest Hitchcock before transitioning almost exclusively to television work. Gone with the Wind. Who's seen that? I actually, I've seen never heard of it. it. It's really boring. It's 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 a beautiful movie and I'll leave it at that. Uh, but you know what, guys? We're really we're forgetting about the real heart of this film, and that is uh, Peter von Frankenstein, played by Donnie Dunnigan, who I believe this is a first and possibly an only still alive. Oh, we got my. one. Whoa! A little, ba- a little baby boy. Did we see if he wants to be on the show. No, because I don't <laughs> want to talk. To I'm going to talk weekly? so much shit about him in this, and I do not want to have to deal with the consequences of my actions because clearly I must be part Frankenstein. He hasn't acted though since 1942 when he was Bambi in Bambi. Yeah. Awesome. He was much better in Bambi than he was in this movie. (laughs) Uh, He's going to be in the upcoming Sub Rosa. And he's going to be on the next episode of Monster Rally Podcast. Dude, how cool would it be if we got that guy? It would be pretty good. That would be a pretty good get. I bet he's not doing anything. I'm going to call him right now. <laughs> I'm sure he's in the. I'm sure he's in the yellow pages. He hasn't acted in almost a hundred years. In eighty years, it's <laughs> true. Classic. I think. I think. Uh, going over the whole cast, I think now is the is the moment we've all been waiting for, and we need Gary to usher us in with the formal Monster Rally podcast breakdown <laughs> of Son of Frankenstein. Gary, yeah. please. <laughs> I do want to let everybody know. Like I said. I watched this while I was um, had COVID and pneumonia, and uh, I watched this in a fever dream. So let's see if I remember what happened. Oh. Baron Wolf von Frankenstein, who sounds like the drummer of the Misfits, is returning to his hometown of Frankenstein. I think the town is called Frankenstein, guys. Is yeah, that this one, is, yeah, it, called that. It, okay. it was not in previous films. <laughs> With his wife, Elsa, and their son, Peter. But this town fucking hates him. <laughs> like, like, a lot. Because, well, guys, his dad was this fucking psychopath who just got away with awful shit all the time. Also, his, his granddad sucked, too. <laughs> he did. The older did he really, though? I mean, did the granddad really suck that much? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the town believes it, so yes. So yeah, these people want no part of the young Frankenstein. Uh, from the moment his train arrives, everyone just keeps telling him what a piece of shit he is all the time. <laughs> Which is true. Um, Wolf moves into the old Frankenstein castle, where he's visited by the police, like, all the time, and the new Burgermaster. Because I don't blame them. If someone, if a Frankenstein moved into my town, I'd be like, yo, I'm coming over every day to make sure you're not doing bad shit. You know what's pretty crazy though is the cops keep coming over and her and her the the cop and the mayor come over and harass him all the time, but they don't they don't really mention like oh by the way there is a murderer that we couldn't quite kill right just yeah. hanging out on grounds but by, by the way you have a young son in your house. <laughs> um, Wolf also meets Inspector Crow, 
who has a fake arm from when the monster ripped his arm off screen as a child. I assume that happened. They, they must have cut that. The, that must have been the Hayes code. Yeah, it's right? not in previous films, but like, yeah, the, the, the monster was going buck wild off it's camera. I guess we should say this, this takes place 30 years after Bride of Frankenstein, I think they said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so Crow uh, moves in to the castle, I guess, because he's always there. Um, and Wolf decides, I'm going to keep calling him Wolf. How about Wolfie? Wolfie decides to investigate his dad's old lab, which is now right across the street from the castle, and meets Igor. Is it Igor or Igor? Igor. A demented and deformed blacksmith who survived his execution. So I guess if you, you survive your execution, you're just a free man now, right? It's that's a double, yeah. double jeopardy. We tried to kill you because you did some horrible shit, but we fucked up, so now you're just you're free. Yeah, you get a free <laughs> pass. Yeah. Job our our bad. <laughs> Um, and what I like about Igor is he just shows up places and taunts the people who tried to kill him. <laughs> he shit talks so much. He's like, yo, you tried to kill me, but I'm still here. I'm just going to come to your meetings. <laughs> it's great. I'm going to cough in all of your faces, which yeah. oh, man, that's, that's the great. scariest part of this movie, living in the times we live in. Yeah. It's just <laughs> coughing and spitting in people's yeah. faces. You know that guy's gross. That guy's eating all sorts of shit he shouldn't be eating. Literal um, shit, probably. There's, there's the law. There's no law in Burgermeister Frankenstein. No law. <laughs> um, so Igor has befriended the monster, who is comatose in the Tomb of Frankenstein. Yo, that sounds like a badass title for a movie. The Tomb of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, yeah. Put it on Kickstarter. Because um, Wolf is also a psychopath like his father. <laughs> he and Igor decide to bring the monster back to life. But the monster, who now has a sweet sweater, starts yeah. murdering the local authorities responsible for Igor's sentencing. Yeah. Wolf decides that he should shoot Igor, um, who was the only person, by the way, who could control the monster, so it's probably a terrible idea. Seems sure. um, <laughs> Yeah. Obviously, this pisses off Big Frank, who kidnaps uh, Wolf's annoying son and plans to throw him into the family sulfur pit. <laughs> they have one of those. The real family fortune. <laughs> but Crow loses his arm again, and Wolf channels his inner swashbuckler by swinging on a rope to kick the monster into the sulfur. And the entire town gathers the cheer as the fucking Frankensteins leave again with no remorse or any consequences for their fucking actions <laughs> again. <laughs> Yeah, baby, they're living the dream. I the think that, end. Yeah, that was <laughs> it, that was a pretty sound description. <laughs> yeah, no, it, that's pretty on point. Oh, you forgot it, his yeah. magic flute, Gary. Oh, you forgot his magic, magic flute. flute. Again, COVID. I thought that magic flute had made it up in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you did, but nope. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, let's just start at, at the end. Frankenstein's suck. They just get away with a lot of people dying. They're in this the, movie. Maybe the, the most shittiest family. A he lot of people the die. Most. Yeah. He kills the most, and and they're just like, oh, okay. Well, Bye. Um, hey, I, mean, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, I mean, yeah. Guys, I think we're being a little harsh here. Like, yes, the Frankensteins are flawed, but aren't we all? Like, to be fair, though, I will say, yes, yeah, they're all fucked. Yeah, I mean, but... We were talking about this before we started recording, before Gary jumped on. I will say that at least Wolfie, fucking Wolfie Ben Barron, will fuck Frankenstein. Wolfie, for layman's terms, he at least kind of comes in with a little bit more of a moral compass than, say, Colin Clive had. Yeah, like, I think he throws it away. So he throws fast. it away, but, he, but he, does, he does come into it immediately recognizing the harm that's been done. And he, I think he has a genuine impulse to be like, okay, things were fucked up, but like, I genuinely think that like, I can oh, fix this. He doesn't no. go into it like a mad scientist sort of uh, way uh, that happens. Uh, but initially, uh, I think I, 
initially I think his heart is in the right place, but yeah, he wants to he wants to salvage his family name in the right. family name by town. doing the exact thing that ruined his family name. Well, well, that's the point. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, guys. Come on, uh, that's right. thank listen. You. I know. I know. Listen, I'm, I know we're we're all a bunch of chemists and all that stuff. So I gotta ask: Is that really what happens when you throw a body in a pit of sulfur? It's just a giant explosion. Yes, or... exactly. <laughs> you throw a Frankenstein in there. Yeah. You throw. Oh, is it strictly when you throw a Frankenstein in there? Yeah. We didn't get to see. I thought he was gonna throw Peter in there, and I was kind of excited. <laughs> <laughs> so dope because that kid sucks shit. Yeah, he yes. sucks. <laughs> um, that being uh, said, second the, the second that kid showed up on screen, I was like, oh no, something terrible is going to happen to him. Yeah, there, there, there definitely is something a little bit um, off kilter because Peter is so noticeably American, whereas like the his parents <laughs> feel like there's like there's there's definitely more of like a European influence through them. Although they don't have like overtly European accents, there's something like 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 a like a like a class about them. Whereas him, it's like that's just like an American kid from the fifties, like just wandering around the set. I, I even had the note: what accent is the child Frankenstein speaking with? <laughs> because it's. Ohio. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, it's definitely I'm Midwest. Middle of I, like, uh, I like that Frankenstein village, which is the name of this town. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 years, like, has really progressed in 30 years. They have a train now, a train station. Yeah. Um, Things are looking a, up. A jury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and they do, like, you mentioned in your description, like, cer- certain things have been changed or condensed. Like, the Frankenstein Castle is right on the same grounds as the laboratory that we remember, or, you know, like, the Yeah, that's the not the same, because if you remember in Frankenstein, yeah. they're like, where is he? I don't know. If they had just gone outside, they would have Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. It's a little discombobulated. And we're like, wait, that wasn't fucking in the backyard last time. <laughs> but So there's there's a point right, right when they first get to the... I, I think it's right when they first get to the castle, where Wolf, Wolfie and Elsa are having a conversation about like she's kind of creeped out by the place mm-hmm. and like the whole thing they're talking the thing that she's creeped out about specifically it is the exact aesthetic that the universal monster movies created she's like oh it's a big drafty castle and there's rumors of monsters and blah 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 i'm like yeah this is literally everything the last you know seven movies have built up I like I like that you mentioned that, especially just because we're rolling off of like two back to back James Well classics of like Frankenstein and Bride. I think that Son of Frankenstein, personally, I think that it really maintains the same visual vocabulary as the James Whale installments. But it, like it, Roland V. Lee, I think he stepped up and he really keeps it as grand and as atmospheric as those previous films. So I think for a new director coming in and tr- having to carry the torch of like two really big classics, I think that he does a really good job maintaining that atmosphere that we've all kind of come to love and expect from these movies. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think this is right in tone with those movies. Um, especially visually, like you said, uh, I've always liked the way that the Frankenstein castle or lab has looked and been portrayed with mm-hmm. these like wide shots and a lot of like harsh angles to a lot of the architecture. Um, yeah. It looks very foreboding in this movie, which I like. Yes, definitely. And it, and it looks, it looks ruined. Like somebody put a self-destruct switch on the wall and then some goon pulled it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the sulfur pit was there. And then a sulfur pit was <laughs> the sulfur born. Pit, yeah. 
Um, is the sulfur made of the bride, guys? Oh no! Oh no! Is it her? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he fell in and he blew up. Um, expect Inspector Crow. This guy steals this movie. I feel like he's the Eddie Van Sloan of this movie. He's our guy. This guy kicks shit in it. I I love the just like. This movie does not have as much humor as the whale movies, but it, this is such a dark, like, humorous character here with the fake arm. It's really fun. Yeah. He's he's a really dark and serious character, but you can tell right away, like, oh, he's he's a straight up good guy. Because, like, he he joined, if it wasn't for the monster attack when he was a child, he's like, oh, I would have been a soldier. And he yeah. tells like, this this sad tale to to the Frankensteins. And then when uh, shitty little Peter comes in, it's like, hey, what's up with this guy's bad arm? <laughs> he's like, oh, he's a soldier. He lost it. He lost it fighting. Yeah, and I, didn't, like, I didn't think he was going to be an actual like a heroic character that he turned out to be. I had in my mind the character from Young Frankenstein and also Doc, Dr. Scott from like Rocky Horror, who also <laughs> takes a lot of um, influence in this character, who are both villains. And I thought this, the Inspector Crow was going to be a villain, but he's not. He's a good, like you said, he's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Be- best damn lawman the village of Frankenstein has ever seen. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, cheat his darts or anything. Why? <laughs> why well, is that, he not the that, burger yeah. meister? Ta- well, talking about humor, yeah, true son of Frankenstein isn't quite as packed with the same level of of dark humor as the first two films. But that dart throwing scene that him and Basil Rathbone have is hilarious i think that it's really funny um i don't think that they're expecting it to be broadly funny but just sort of like basil rathbone's impatience and frustration with everything just kind of adds to it uh i I just love that like their exchange during that and they have many of them too and that's that 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 energy you're getting from basil rathbone in that scene is actually his frustration with the film yeah (laughs) he didn't want to do it he thought he thought it was beneath him which is so funny too. Like that, if that's if that's the case, it really doesn't show on screen because he gives a great performance. Like I said, you know, we said at the start of the episode, like this is a, a truly packed cast. This is arguably one of the the best casts that I think we've seen in any of the Universal monster films that we've covered. And as much as we're kind of drooling over Lionel Atwell, and I, like again, I'm so happy that we're going to see him pop up in several more movies. Uh, we're going to see him again in um, Frankenstein uh, meets the Wolfman. We'll see him in Ghost of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. Like Universal could not get enough of this guy, so they kept putting him in different films, which is great for us. But really, as much as it is called Son of Frankenstein, and we do get Boris Karloff returning to his infamous role his the emotional arc of the monster i think is was basically wrapped up in bride karloff and and the monster himself are basically more or less here to be like a mute brute kind of i, I mean the monster is there but there's not that emotional arc that we saw in the previous two two films and it, that's fine it, it serves the story that they're trying to tell but because of that um, this is where in one of the rare cases where Karloff and Lugosi share the screen together, this is a film where Lugosi just completely steals the spotlight from Karloff. Lugosi as Igor, this is without a doubt his best goddamn role. He is so uh, good in this unquestionably, role. Unquestionably. No, no, no question from us. I mean, I think he's excellent in this role and he has now like, um, What's the word I want to go go with? Iconified? That's not a word, is it? We're going to make it one, though. Yeah. He's enough. Iconified the name Igor, because when you watch, you know, the first Frankenstein movies and you see that 
uh, hunchback character, you're like, oh, that's Igor, because I always know that Igor is Frankenstein's assistant. But he's not. In, in this yeah, movie, it's supposed to get Igor. Yeah. Um, it's funny how, like, pop culture kind of, like, blindsided us with that because i feel like so many of us think when we hear igor that's what we think of too but that's certainly not the case because this is the first universal horror film to feature the character I think and that's it's not... young frankenstein i think it's because young frankenstein takes all of those things and puts them into one movie it's got yeah, it yeah it's it's 100 yeah 100 young frankenstein yeah, yeah Lugosi is excellent in this. He's the real villain of this movie, um, controlling the yes. monster, which I thought was a really cool take on the, the character, because now you, the monster is just a killing machine, which he wasn't before. No, yeah. and, and he really and, never was. Yeah, and and there and there's true. And, and again, I mean, I mean, if there if you want to make a case for some sort of an emotional arc, yeah, like it, it's the the tragedy of the monster continues in Son of Frankenstein because once again the monster was dead; he was basically resting in peace, and then Igor has resurrected him to do his bidding. Now that he's survived his hanging, and and again, all all props to Jack Pierce with his great makeup and this you know like broken neck that um, Lugosi is wearing throughout the whole film. He he brings him back to life to kind of kill the jurors that convicted him in the first place so again the tragedy of the monster continues he's not out you know going out of his way to kill people he's once again being kind of like puppet master to do certain things i do want to note um about lugosi uh at this time he was really desperate for work so universal apparently lowballed his salary which was about um a mere 500 a week which is really a slap in the face for the guy that really started this playing dracula mm -hmm. so luckily with the script being in the constant state of flux that it was as we mentioned um roland lee was able to keep lugosi working and building his character up but reportedly this is where it gets interesting karloff and rathbone felt lugosi was being severely taken advantage of and they both banded together to insist he be paid a more appropriate fee which he then was so that's awesome on yeah of them yeah, and and not just that. It's one of the reasons that they kept the uh, the director kept the script from being completely finalized. Right, was like, no, I I, I love Legosi. Let's get this man paid. Yeah, I, I like the uh, like you said, Mike the 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 monster almost like a golem, right? In in the mm -hmm. sense that mm -hmm. somebody can control him. Um, I I don't remember Ghost of Frankenstein, but I don't think that's a plot. But that could have been a fun plot to continue this franchise, right? Different people controlling the monster, and that's kind of the tragedy of the monster, or that yeah. inter inner turmoil of, of tearing him up. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I, what, what's interesting is that with the subsequent, the majority of the subsequent movies that the, the Frankenstein monster shows up in, I feel like this is almost a step back, because... Sure, I guess theoretically you might say that this, the the monster did die at the end of Bride, so he's kind of brought back as a zombie kind of thing. Again, the golem uh, from Jewish folklore, if you will. But we we later see it like he can talk again in later ones, and like he he becomes more human in the later ones again. And this one, I I felt bad for Karloff in this because he is set dressing. Yeah. They could have had anybody in that role. And it's, yeah, that, it's unfortunate. It, yeah, it, it's, it's true. But I, uh, again, it's like, you know, it, it's, he's serving the story that they were trying to tell. So, I mean, it's still nice that we got to see Karloff 
in the role one more time. Oh, and also let's talk about like again, Jack Pierce knocked it out of the park, like we said with Lugosi, but uh the monster, uh slightly modified um makeup work that we see and just visually or, or at least costume wise, uh you mentioned that like brown sweater. Uh yeah, it's, it's a nice touch. Vest. Yeah, yeah I really like that. Vest. I think it's cool. Like I think it's it's something different for him and just the makeup design. Uh it's not radically different, but it's different enough for us to see that there's been a change in the makeup uh to a certain degree but i really like uh the visual look of the monster in this film particularly yeah uh, i think you guys made a good point the monster is almost an afterthought or a prop in this movie um because i really do think this movie is about the son of frankenstein it's really about mm-hmm. uh you know wolfie dealing with his legacy um we see him go over the edge like his father but he comes back from it because uh, he realizes the flaw in his ways. And uh, I do want to say, Basil Rathbone, I think, is excellent in this movie. I think He's he does so a, good. He does a really, really great job as this character. You could tell that this guy is just a professional actor. You know, we've had some leads in some of our other movies, Werewolf of London, where like it's like, <laughs> what is this guy doing leading a movie? But this is a leading man. We have a yeah. real true leading man hero in this movie. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's like what it is. It's like this, um, it, it's this, really like this A-list cast and then Roland Lee really doing the two previous films really proudly. It, it was just a really happy marriage of the two that continued um, this this trifecta, really. I mean, this is the third film in this franchise, and although Whale isn't there, I, I think that it's still hitting um, very close to those the same you know bars that Frankenstein and Bride established early on. Um, I think it's interesting to note too, maybe not as surprisingly, but son of Frankenstein is actually the longest of all of the universal monster films. It clocks in 99 minutes, which that seems very commonplace nowadays, but when you're watching universal monster films as frequently as we do on this show that we were like, (laughs) this this one's a, this is a lengthy one. I was going to say that too. I I put aside an hour to watch this movie because every movie (laughs) we've watched so far has been about 90 minutes and and not even 90 minutes, like 80 minutes. And, um, and we hit like the 80 minute mark and we're still going. We hit like the 90 minute mark. We're still going. I'm like, I am, I'm grooving right now. This movie yeah. is just, is moving. it doesn't feel long though. That's the other thing. No. It, Even I mean, some of those, no, does, sometimes when you're watching a 70 minute movie, Werewolf of London, yeah, it just, it, London. it drags, right? It's like, okay, I, I, let's get to the end. This movie didn't feel that way. It could have, it could have been longer and I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. And it felt right. You know what I mean? For, for it yeah. kind of con- following up something as monumental as Bride, I felt like it, something like son of Frankenstein afforded the longer length. So yeah, I was completely fine with it. Very engrossed. You know, I'm always engrossed when I watch this movie. I need to talk more shit about Wolf von Frankenstein guys. Go ahead. He's a shitty person. (laughs) Right. So when he, when they roll up on the train and they're met with villagers who are like, get the fuck out of here, Frankenstein. We don't (laughs) want your kind here. You've brought nothing but pain to the village that we are now named after. (laughs) And he goes, he's like, oh, don't worry, I can, uh, I can razzle-dazzle him with a little speech. And he had the, he had the balls. The The cojones. The the (laughs) cojones. To to claim that his father's actions were unknowing and unwilling. That is a lie. Toe to tip, (laughs) bullshit. Wolfie, you clearly were not there. (laughs) 
<laughs> I wonder, like, what 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 did he hear from his father? Because of course, his father's like, "Yo, you know what I did? This shit was cool as hell. I brought a dude back from the dead." Just <laughs> yeah. Cool, dude. What did what did what did your town think? Oh, they were all they were all about it. Don't worry, son. They love us. <laughs> well, that's well, that's the thing. Because I did I did I mishear? It seemed like Henry Frankenstein sent Wolf off to to be raised, you know, in in border, you know, boarding yeah. schools and stuff like that. Like he did not have a relationship with his father. He did not know his father. Yeah, they, and, they definitely came from like an upbringing where he was right. sent to boarding schools early. Right. But, and no, but I, and I I don't like I think he mentions like that he hadn't had any contact with his father in years. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder. Another deadbeat dad. Was Henry Frankenstein <laughs> a deadbeat dad like Dracula? Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is yeah. the deadbeat dad. Shitty, uh, Shitty dad. Yeah, one hundred percent. Right. We don't really ever find out what his fate is, right? Like he just had kids and lived and oh, Henry got Frankenstein. A job. Yeah, nothing bad ever happened to him. Yeah, no, nothing bad ever happened to him. I, I have a I have a theory that dracula was phoning the monster from transylvania just talking about how shitty they could be to their kids like what did you do to your son i told mine to fuck off (laughs) you know like just all these things that they could just come up with about how how, who could be the shittier monster father (laughs) arguably it would be it would be henry Mm -hmm. yeah a terrible father to Wolf, a terrible father to the one in the next Frankenstein movie, a terrible father to the monster. Yeah, a terrible husband. I'm let down. Bad, clearly a bad husband. Didn't take care of his father's uh, goiter. <laughs> yeah, he was a doctor. How come we didn't see his dad? Like, yo, dad, you got something on your neck. We should check that out. <laughs> no, we see Wolf's grandfather's coffin. We see the Baron Frankenstein's coffin. In the tomb of the tomb of Franklin Stein. Yeah. Are you a little surprised there wasn't like a little tiny coffin attached to the neck of it? For the tumor? <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you know what? That's actually a good point. Like that really is the true like um uh demonstration of how shitty Henry Frankenstein is. Like he was a doctor and not once, like how self-absorbed he he's a doctor and didn't think to be like, hey dad, what's that on your fucking neck? We should go take a look at that down at the lab. <laughs> Like, Maybe I can like, bring that thing to life. <laughs> like, what an, like we we <laughs> saw that on a on on a film. Like he's right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Henry sucks. And do you think he's still alive at the time of this movie? No, he's actively dead. In yeah, this he's in. The oh, that's right. He he was in yeah. the tomb. So Which, why was why was, was Wolf? I don't. I don't. Was he in the tomb? Yeah, I think they were both there. Yeah, um, yeah, the grand, yeah, the grand said on his tomb it said like maker of monsters or something. Right, right, right. And right, then he right. changes it to maker of men. Uh, why? Why was Wolfie going? Was he going there to get like an, his inheritance, or he's just like, eh, it's a free he house. He inherited it. Yeah. I can only imagine that he did something terrible wherever they were living. It's like, oh, it's a good thing my dad kicked it because I got this big ass house now. Yeah, they're it like, is, it is, it is funny. Fuck out. It is. I funny. commit war crimes. <laughs> 
I know we're like jumping ahead a little bit, but it's just kind of funny because it, it rolls into like how this town wants absolutely nothing to do with this fucking family. But once Wolfie kicks the monster into the sulfur pit and then he, they they basically um, like forego ownership of the castle and lab and they just give it back to the village. I like that the whole town is like giving them this send off and it's like everybody's happy and clapping, but it's like everybody's happy and clapping because they got what they wanted. Like you're fucking leaving. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's not a happy celebration that like oh you turned out to be such a nice guy they're like yeah you're fucking leaving leave you're leaving us. all of our politicians are dead <laughs> there was only fucking... anarchy yeah frankenstein the, the village Jew. of frankenstein is fucking anarchy it's like mad max now <laughs> well yeah because if, if you get if you get tried for 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 crimes and execute it and you live you get a free pass yeah. And now there's no ruling body. I guess there's still the Burgermeister. Did he get killed? <laughs> Probably not. That fucking guy will keep popping up in Frankenstein movies. Just like Inspector Crow should have been. He should be running this town. Yeah, that's true. He showed real leadership by breaking <laughs> entering into a man's house to plant evidence. <laughs> but breaking and entering and then squatting because that guy was always over for dinner. Always there. Seriously. I know what a beggar. Carnal relationship. Do we need to talk up? Do we need to talk about Elsa at all? Is her name Elsa? What's her uh, name? Elsa? Yeah, Elsa. I mean, she's fine. She's like again, she's just sort of there for Wolfie yeah. to have a wife. She doesn't really do like she's fine, but she doesn't really do anything that I thought particularly stands out. But she's fine. She's window dressing, which is unfortunate because we had a couple movies with great female leads, and right. then. Yeah. She's completely forgettable. She doesn't even not even she doesn't even need to be in this movie. Yeah. Like she serves which literally is, yeah. no purpose. Which which again, it's like it's a shame, but then also like, do you wanna like do we really wanna take screen time away and focus on like their relationship? Not really. Like it's more about like we've said, like it's all about uh Wolf and you know, Wolfie kind of like reclaiming his legacy and righting the wrongs and stuff like that. So uh, he didn't this, do that. Yeah, but it's, no, a, it's a hundred minute movie. I mean, they could develop that yeah. a little bit more. You know what it is? I think that's fair. It's fair. I think they had a script going into it, and it didn't wind up being written around Lagosi. They would have explored the inter Frankenstein relationships. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, maybe we 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 do have a few more uh, Frankenstein films to get to, so you never know. I've got I've got one last one last question to ask. Um, Igor's hanging out in in the the lab, hoping someone hoping a Frankenstein just shows up to help him bring the monster back yeah, to life. Dude, and he says the monster is his friend, but the monster is like in comatose, right? So he just is talking to a dead body. Oh, Igor's a creep, dude. I don't know if you picked that one up during the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I wrote down this line. Um, Igor goes, "He's my friend. He does things for me." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's before I think, they bring him back to life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I think that Igor was having his own little private time fun with uh, the monster. <laughs> oh boy, I hate it. It's um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it obviously from like the ballooned budget, and um, I thought you know again Roland Lee really stepping up to the plate, knocking it out of the park. Um, as much as it 
you know, it ballooned the budgets and whatnot. Uh, the expense definitely paid off for Universal because Son of Frankenstein reported some of their biggest box office returns in their <clears throat> history. But you, as you can see, every penny of the production is on that screen. Like, I think everything is really beautiful. Again, it really kind of continues that visual vocabulary that um, James Whale started. Actually, you know what? There was something that I did want to mention that I thought was pretty interesting that we didn't mention earlier, but I probably should have because it had to do with uh, fucking Peter Lorre and like people potentially coming into this film that didn't. Are you talking about Claude Rains almost being Wolf? Because that would have been interesting. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I just think that it's interesting uh, just going back to the beginning um, again when all this kind of... uh, horror film you know probation of horror films was going on back in august of 38 universal had announced a new two-picture deal with karloff to appear in their latest horror pictures then a month later um, one of them was announced to be titled after frankenstein with rathbone and lugosi joining the cast but initially it was peter Lorre who was to be on loan from fox Um, he was intended to play wolf von frankenstein which Sounds cool in theory, but I don't think he would have fit the part. But um, that fell through over. He just had disinterest in playing another meanie. And then um, it was actually Claude Rains uh, from The Invisible Man, who was also considered for the role of Pretorius and Bride of Frankenstein. He was considered for the part, which that one I could have seen more likely. But again, I think that where they landed was where they should have. I think Basil Rathbone really knocked it out of the park for sure. We love Claude Rains on this show, and it's a shame because we're not going to really talk about him that much because he's rumored for all these movies, but he was so good in Invisible Man, and he would have yeah. been so good in Werewolf of London. And I know. Probably been, and probably would have been pretty great in this. I love Basil, but he would have been probably equally as good. It's the it same thing. Like, like, yeah, like we, like we love Basil, but we're not going to really see him again, you know, in, in a Frankenstein movie. He's just well, so... Our, our Sherlock Holmes uh, podcast, we probably will. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, our, yeah. If you guys want to start a Sherlock Holmes podcast, we can talk about him for 13 films. So that's that would be great. Better Gary, than Robert Downey Gary, Jr., that's for sure. Gary, don't tell Mike about the Sherlock Holmes podcast that we've been doing for four years now. Okay, <laughs> Sherlock, Sherlock Homies. <laughs> Precisely. That's too good. That is too good. Um, All right. So TM, 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 TM. Trademark, yeah, Sherlock Homies, yeah. Dropping soon. <laughs> Um, I think that's that covers everything I want to talk about. You guys got anything else, or we want to go to uh, our reviews? That castle's layout is wild, and that's really all I got to say about that. Yeah, um, it's all over the place. It's trapdoors and mm-hmm. things. It's, every, it's everything you envision with like a creepy castle. For oh, sure. oh, I did write this something down. If a house is filled with dread, place the bed set head to head. Yeah, that yeah, that was that was a thing. Is that why all the all the beds in your house are head to head, Gary? Yes, my house is filled with dread. So let's get to our final thoughts on Son of Frankenstein. As always, we start with the biggest Frankenstein fan on the planet, uh, president, and also member of the Frankenstein Club for Men. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, well, I, I have to say, I think it's it's probably no surprise when it comes to Frankenstein films, but Son of Frankenstein, um, 
I think it's interesting to note that it's the last of the Frankenstein films to be met with really deep respect by the critics, uh, many of which uh, heralded as, you know, you know, even more so than the whale installment, which is pretty surprising, but maybe not so much so. Um, I will say that although the high expenses paid off for the studio, Son of Frankenstein was really the last of its kind to be produced with such elaborate design and cost. Um, after Son of Frankenstein, we really get to see more of these films kind of dip into um, getting more of a B treatment with modest budgets and, you know, dependable craftsmen reining them in as opposed to, you know, really, you know, surefire artists behind the camera. All that being said, that is all on display in Son of Frankenstein. I think that Roland V. Lee really, again, carries the torch for James Whale. We still are seeing that same high bar, that visual vocabulary, that atmosphere that Whale set forth. The cast is dynamite in this. You know, we've kind of gone on and on about Basil Rathbone and Lionel Atwell, but it's really Bela Lugosi's movie. Uh, his turn as Igor is hands down his best performance of all time. He's absolutely phenomenal in this. And again, this is this is the third installment of the Frankenstein films. I love bride i love frankenstein so for this being the third i think that this one still keeps the bar up um very high i don't think that the quality dips uh we just get one of the best casts that we've seen in any of the universal monster films yet or to even be seen so with all that being said i have to give son of frankenstein a solid four out of five excellent thank you james this is another movie about a well-educated white man who <laughs> blows into town, causes mayhem and murder, and then leaves, waving and smiling, to applause. <laughs> I'll say all the Frankenstein men suck ass. The whole family should just be white from this earth. <laughs> And if the town hates <laughs> Frankenstein so much, they should they should pass an ordinance and change their name again. <laughs> um, I really like this movie. Uh, again, I you know I we could we could take the time and another seven hours and talk about how amazing and menacing and creepy and scary Lagosi is. Uh, he went he went full grotesque for this and. He put it all on the screen, and I, this is—he—he'll always be Dracula to everybody. But I'm here to say, what if he's Igor to everybody? Because oh. this is his better role. This is the movie that he should be known for. I really like it. It's—I don't—it's not as good as Bride. It's not as good as Bride. Period. The end. Uh, I think that we missed out on the one of the original. Uh, copies of the or one of the original drafts of the script where in the ruins of the uh, laboratory we see the the skeletal remains of both the bride and dr pretorius the notorious uh the pretorius doc <laughs> and that kind of sucked because we get a sulfur pit and we don't it's like all right <laughs> Cool. Um, I, I'm going to agree with Mike. It's four. It's, this is a solid movie. It is It is very good. Uh, there's just... There are things that I wish were in here, and they're not. 
And that's okay. I didn't write the movie, so I can't really complain about the content of it. Uh, hell, hell of uh, quality actors in there. Uh, Rathbone is great. He's a he's a phenomenal lead. Uh, Lugosi is next level. Um, honestly, and it's it's unfortunate because I think this is Karloff's worst performance that we see. Uh, but it's not his fault. He just has nothing to do in the movie. Got that sweet sweater though. Got a got yeah. a good furry old navy tech vest, and that's fun. <laughs> uh, Gar, what are what are your thoughts? Yeah, this movie will forever be tied in my mind to uh, having COVID. I don't know. For <laughs> yeah, I watched it in a COVID fever dream, and you know, spoiler alert, guys, we were originally going to record this three weeks ago, and uh, I ended up in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Doctor Frankenstein showed up. It's like, hey, I can help you. I'm like, no, get out of here. <laughs> Do not want your help. You're just was that do Peter Frankenstein that came? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about son of son of Frankenstein? Is that ever going to happen? You think? But um, I uh, I was critical of the first Frankenstein movie. Obviously, I loved Bride of Frankenstein. I think this is uh, this is up there. This is almost as good as Bride of Frankenstein, in my opinion. I really enjoyed this movie for everything you guys said. It, it's it's got great performances from Lugosi and Rathbone. Karloff is also in this movie, I suppose, unfortunately. It's unfortunate to say that. Um, it's got an iconic character, an Inspector Crow, who I'd love to like have seen more of in, mm-hmm. in like sequels. I just I, we're we're like we're so hungry on this show for like reoccurring characters showing up in other movies, and it doesn't happen nearly enough. Uh, but he's a character who's like, oh, you could build a franchise around this dude. Like that's what they would do now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, and I always mention it, is the score. I think this has a great score throughout the entire movie. Totally. Um, the composer, his name is Skinner, I believe, is goes on to do Wolfman after this, a couple of the Invisible Man sequels. So we're going to hear more from him, but it has a really good score. Um, it, it's a, a good-looking movie. It, it fits in with the James Well movies. It, it looks like it could be could have been directed. It doesn't have his humor. doesn't have his you know quirkiness. Per, per se, but it definitely fits in with that. And uh, with all that being said, I really like Son of Frankenstein, and I'm also uh, always planning on giving it this score, so it works out well. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Nice. Is this? Yeah, this is. We're, we're two for two. Then I think this is the second uh, episode that we all had the same score, right? The second Frankenstein, we've all had yeah. the same score. Oh, yeah. right, right. There mm-hmm. you go. It's huh. you know we. I know we did the Frankenstein episode early, and we were really critical on it, and then I think some of that stuff is is warranted but it goes without saying i think frankenstein is probably the strongest series in this this like oh i agree yeah yeah Yeah. well yeah no it is diminishing returns (laughs) but it's the the good is so good that so far we're three for three with yeah we're three for three right like this is is very strong mm -hmm. you'll 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 see some immediate dips in some of the other franchises we still got we still have a couple more Frankenstein movies. We have Ghost of Frankenstein. We have House of House Frankenstein. Of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Those yeah. are all the movies with Frankenstein in the title. Right. Uh, right, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, we, we really didn't talk about it enough. Like, this is the basis for Young Frankenstein, right? Like, oh, a lot yeah. of Young well, Frankenstein yeah. takes from this movie. It's yeah. all of this, and then they sh- it's like a turducken. Uh, and they just they they shove 
the good stuff from Bride of Frankenstein inside of it, and then they shove the good stuff from the first Frankenstein inside of it. Also, guys, we didn't talk about Dwight Fry, and that's fine because he's a, theoretically a villager. He's probably in this. Him and Udo O'Connor were in a cutscene, I believe, actually. No, uh, Dwight Fry is credited as a villager in this movie. Is he really? Yeah. Yes, he is. Oh, that's great. That goes with my theory that Dwight Fry's been in every movie ever made. <laughs> Um, before we wrap up, James, you want to tell everybody where they can find us on the internet and how to do that? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, Monster Rally Pod. Uh, Twitter. Instagram. Hit us up. Follow us. Share our stuff. Super cool of you, if you do. If you're in that Hellscape uh, Facebook, uh, the Monster Rally Podcast page, join us, won't you? Please? Pretty please. <laughs> please? <laughs> Uh, make sure that you follow us on whatever podcast app you use, uh, website. Uh, if you can, please give us five-star ratings and reviews. That would be super helpful. Tell all your friends, we want to keep making these. And we probably will, so this is kind of an empty threat. But... <laughs> <laughs> You got the word out about the about the show, and uh, we we are very grateful for those that do tune uh, turn it uh, tune in. I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, am I missing anything? Um, no, nope. sounds good. <laughs> I think we're good. I think this wraps up Son of Frankenstein, but it probably is important to let um, our monster listeners know that next time we will be covering 1940s The Invisible Man Returns, starring Vincent Price. Very cool. Very cool. I wanted to take a second um, before we wrap up to, to talk about two things. And first, we don't normally plug other things on this show, but I do want to I do want Mike to plug his other podcast because he's had done some really cool stuff recently. Um, oh, wow. You had a really you had a really cool guest. And I want you to talk about that for a second. Oh, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a I co-host another podcast called I Eat Movies with my pal Dino. Uh, we talk about you know exploitation cinema, kind of offbeat cinema and whatnot. Um, and just this past weekend, um, or this past week, really, I was joined as a podcast guest on the Mahoning Drive-In Radio as part of uh, the Mahoning Drive-Ins uh, podcast. They're in Lehigh, in Pennsylvania. Always doing really cool uh, programming. I was just there this past weekend, um, introducing um, a dark side of Disney's. Um, event where we screened uh, Return to Oz on 35mm and The Watcher in the Woods. That was very cool, and I had the great pleasure of uh, being one of the hosts on a podcast for The Mahoning again where we introduced, where, where we interviewed uh, Gary Wolf, the author of Who Censored Roger Rabbit, and that's kind of all going into um, this Sunday screening of Who Framed Roger Rabbit on 35mm again at The Mahoning Drive-In. So yeah, a lot of cool things going on, but uh, yeah, that's it. You could find us uh i eat movies again uh, at all podcasting services apple spotify anchor all that good stuff and you can find us on facebook and instagram for sure so thank you for the plug opportunity gear <laughs> you got it and then i just wanted to say thank you guys for listening and thanks james and mike for filling in while i was uh sick this was a, a very loose and and kind of fun episode but it was important to me and i was i was really happy to be talking with my friends and uh, have some sense of normalcy after going through a tough time. So thank you guys for, for thank you, Mike and James, and thank everybody for listening and uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Son of Frankenstein. And uh, we will see you next time with Invisible Man Returns. <laughs>
I'm definitely going to go and cut out all that stuff, uh, Mike plugging. I refuse to have outside plugs on the show. 